Hi, and welcome to Suited Up, a positive podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Carly Grabber. Today, I'm joined by Crystal Kenny. Crystal was born in a small suburb outside of Baltimore, Maryland, but packed her bags at the age of 26 to start out on an adventure in Paris, France. She never expected to still call Paris home over eight years later, where she now resides with her Italian husband and her adorable pup, Coco. When she's not whizzing around the city photographing events, she also teaches online courses in photography and will be publishing her first book, a memoir, about her time in Paris called Paris, A Life Less Ordinary. She also hosts a popular podcast where she records weekly interviews with creatives in Paris called La Vie Creative, available on iTunes. Hi, Crystal. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm so happy to be here, Carly. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. I really wanted to start off first by asking what inspired you to move to Paris? Was it for work? Was it for pleasure? It's funny you ask that because I vacationed here at the age of 14. I was uh, asked to be a student ambassador. I don't know if you ever heard of this group, People to People. It's basically just a glorified vacation, but they pitch it as like your child is going to like learn about the UN and the Red Cross and travel around Europe and save the world. And so my parents sent me, it was a group of 30 students and we traveled all over Europe and I was so happy. My mom always says she's like really regrets sending me on that trip because after that trip, I was like, I'm moving, I'm leaving America. I mean, at 14, but I didn't actually make it back here until 25 years old. And that's when I really sat down and tried to figure out how to move. Yeah, I bet your mom didn't expect you to move to Paris for one trip. My goodness. I have to ask because obviously, you know, there's Emily in Paris right now. There's all that hype and we really romanticize what the city is. But was Paris everything you hoped it would be? Paris is a lot different when you vacation versus living here. And I think that's what all like the hubbub is about Emily in Paris right now. Everyone's like, it's not real, like the people that live here, which I think is just hilarious because you don't watch like 90210 or like Baywatch and be like, that's not real LA and like show the trash cans. Like for me, it's (laughs) the same for Emily in Paris. Like it's just enjoyable and you know, it's fluff. But yeah, it is much different living here. I was shocked at how much I felt like people hated me when I moved here. (laughs) Like I just, because as Americans, we're really friendly and smiley. And that's like part of being polite. You just, you know, you try to make the air lighter around you and try to make everyone your best friend. The French don't care about that. They're not trying to make everyone their friend. They're real with you. They don't fake their emotions. And when you first move here, it's very shocking. You just feel like people don't like you. Uh, And then you quickly realize that they're like that with everybody. It's not a personal thing. It's just they don't hide their emotions. However they're feeling, that's how they feel. I I find that a little bit refreshing, but I also think I would simultaneously be experiencing that culture shock as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you're like, I'm giving you money. <laughs> Can yeah. you be nice to me? Because in America, it's such like an experience culture. It's like, I pay for something, you give me a good experience. Here, it's more based around uh, the craftsmanship and making good things, but not 
experiencing good things. So they make great food, they make beautiful clothing, they they create things and they do want to be worshipped for that, but they don't create the experience. Like you don't go into the restaurant and be treated like a god. Like you don't walk into a bank and get treated better here and not like in the states or even Canada, I'm sure. So that was a huge shock to like learning this is not a service country <laughs> by any means. So when you made the decision to move to Paris, I imagine that there were many steps to sort of establishing yourself and getting settled. Can you take me through some of the steps you took to establish your career in this new city? Yeah. So when I first got here, I I knew that I wanted to be a photographer. I was doing really well in Washington, D.C., and I wanted to move my business here. And all my friends and family like, what are you doing? Like, you're doing well here. Why would you go to a country where you don't even speak the language? You don't know anybody. It doesn't make any sense. And I just thought, you know, I don't have a husband. I don't have kids. I don't have a house payment. Like, if I'm going to try try now. And that's not even to tell people who have all those things. They can't do it. Like, anybody can move here. But I find you're going to want to be a person who is okay with challenges because moving here is very challenging, especially starting your own business, which in the beginning, I thought that not speaking French would be a problem, but that ended up being what was rewarding for me and what made me succeed, actually, because I started to kind of really conquer the Anglophone sector here. So there's 30,000 Americans living in Paris. There's a lot of us here. And we have our own things. We have our library. We have our chamber of commerce. We have uh, the woman's group, the church, the cathedral. So they're all American based. And when I started reaching out to those groups and networking, that is when I found life got easier as far as like making a business, learning how to do things. Because that's one great thing about the community here. Everyone helps everybody. Because we we all go through the same crap of having a hard time adjusting, feeling like stupid and like we can't get anything right because the French just tell us like we don't do anything right. <laughs> so we really bond over that. So even if you have nothing in common with your neighbor other than the fact that they moved here, we help each other. And I I don't find that the same in America. I'd like photographers in America aren't just randomly helping each other. We're you know we're competition, but here you would get more help because you're all going through that strenuous beginning. That's lovely. That's so wonderful to hear that there's that community because at first when I was hearing, okay, yeah, the culture is very different. People tell you like how they really feel. I was like, okay, what really drew you in? And it sounds like that was certainly an attractive factor. Mm -hmm. At what point did you start working for Flightographer? Because that was actually how I learned who you were was through one of their photography courses. Yeah, I love Flightographer. I, uh, they are a huge part of my life. Nicole's invited to my wedding. She's the owner of the company. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Flightographer. I found out about them because I was sitting on my computer. This was 2013. And I was searching for photography work and because I was starting to get some of my own jobs, but I was still finding my way. I just moved to Paris in 2012. And uh, I found this website, Flightographer. And Nicole had just gotten started too. It was literally just her and one other woman. And I emailed her and I was like, hey, I'm a photographer. What's up? You know, and literally Nicole Skyped me that week and asked me a couple questions. And she's like, you're hired. And the company just exploded. I mean, we grew to the office, grew to like 30 concierges and staff in Canada and then like 500 photographers around the world. But when she hired me, I was one of the first people and she was just kind of figuring out the business herself. That's wonderful. I had no idea it was so 
early on and I yeah I definitely heard the story of how Flytographer really grew it's sort of a famous story out here on the west coast of Canada but that's amazing that you were a part of the company so early on so obviously many years later you're still working for Flytographer but how did the opportunity to actually teach part of a course which is new for that company come about? Well, I love teaching in general, like photography is such a passion. And even as a child, I was like, I'm going to be an art teacher one day. And like, it's so fun to teach. And when the pandemic came, uh, obviously travel stopped, outdoor portraits stopped. So we were all kind of scrambling and Nicole kind of made a little group with us to chat about some of the closer photographers that, you know, the ones that have been there from the beginning. And just like throw some ideas around, be like, what can we do? And we said, you know, let's do some online courses. Everyone's really into self-improvement right now, self-help. Everyone's sitting around wanting to learn things. They're locked in their houses. And we know there's like a ton of photography courses on the market, obviously, like Masterclass and all that stuff. But nobody was really showing the travel aspect combined with that. So we kind of picked the top cities, Santorini, Paris, Hawaii, Honolulu. And uh, we we wanted to teach people, but also show them some travel aspects. I love that. And I have to say, I took the course myself and I I didn't expect to learn a tremendous amount because I've done photography courses at university and I was shocked how much I learned and I was just loving it because I felt like I was having this travel experience in my home at my computer that I otherwise wouldn't have had during the pandemic when I'm really missing traveling and that ability to just go out and experience different culture and meet people. So it's fantastic. Everyone should absolutely check out that course. (laughs) Obviously, as you mentioned, like the travel industry has taken quite a hit during the pandemic, the photography industry as well. And as a means of challenging yourself creatively while photography work slowed down. You actually started a podcast of your own. Can you tell me a little bit about La Vie Creative? Of course, yes. And thank you so much for taking our course. We're so grateful. Uh, So I was actually in Mexico in early March 2020, 19. What year are we in? (laughs) Like it's all a blur. 20. Right? (laughs) Like it's just been on pause. So I was in Mexico. I was supposed to be shooting a wedding. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit hard and borders were closed and here I am with my fiance in Mexico (laughs) and so I just thought okay everyone's freaking out because this was like when we didn't really know what was going on and everyone just said you know stay where you are and if you want to go somewhere else go there now so I thought well I don't want to go back to Paris in my tiny apartment and I was closer to America where my parents are so like let's just hang out in Mexico for a minute and figure things out so I'm sitting there and I say, okay, well, I obviously can't work. And I had been interviewed for another podcast just the month before about wedding photography. And while he was interviewing me, I was like, this is easy. Like, this is fun. I could do this. And he's like, you're really good at this. And I, and I was like, yeah, I, I'd like to like start a podcast. Why not? But I'm like, I don't have time for that. Because honestly, I, I didn't, you know, I was working so hard with photography. Sometimes I had six shoots a day and then weddings and events. And so I was like, I don't really have time for that. Well, Lo and behold, uh, all of a sudden I had a lot of time on my hands and I'm someone who's not good at sitting still anyway. Um, I'm just, 
I, I don't know how to do that. I'm working on that. So I, oh, I hear you because <laughs> we need, we need purpose, right? I mean, I've had a lot of people in my life that didn't have to work. They had money and uh, they didn't have to worry about, you know, that kind of stuff. But also I find a lot of those are, they're miserable people. A lot of times if we don't have something to do, we start to lose our mind, you know, it doesn't. And if you have the choice to do something you enjoy, then it's really great. And I had the choice to start this podcast. So that's, that's how that came about. And I had met so many creative people from working in Paris, like I'd photographed painters and artists and shot events. So I have a really great network in Paris. And I just said, I want to highlight these people because just like me, they lost their work, they lost their money because tourism and everything stopped. So I said, let's let's talk about these people because there are podcasts about Paris, but I was shocked nobody was talking about the artists in Paris and the creative connections. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I love how you talk about how it was really also like a, a sense of a service and, and giving those people in your community a platform during a really difficult time. I think that's such a beautiful gesture as well to your community. And I have to say, everyone should absolutely go check out this podcast. I am such a fan. I'm like episode three in like a few days. <laughs> it's fantastic. And I really do think like you highlight some very fascinating people. And what's interesting about your podcast, as I mentioned before we started recording, is it really feels like you're getting to know a really deep truth of Paris. These people, they're telling their real stories. You sort of feel like you're in on a secret, which is kind of fun. I like that, in on a secret. I'm going to promote that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And you touched on this a little bit, but how did you decide which guests you wanted to feature on the podcast? And how did you meet all of them? Was it just through photography or was it through other avenues. Yeah, I mean, I really in the beginning, I just wanted to highlight my friends because like I have friends who dance for like the Paris Opera and I have friends who do embroidery. And uh, yeah, I had met a lot of them through work. And also, obviously, like I just I love the arts and I live in a very creative city. So you like I, when I first moved here, that's how I survived. They have something here called a vernissage, and a vernissage is basically an art opening, a gallery opening, and they have them all the time in Paris. And there's always free food and drinks. So of course, a lot of these people can't afford any of the art, but you get fed and you get some <laughs> some drinks. So I met a lot of people that are going to vernissages and. Um, uh, the podcast, it's a mix because some of the people on there are already famous and have a huge following. But also, I thought it was really important to highlight the smaller guys that no one knows about. And I feel like as artists, and a lot of times, especially as women as well, we have a really hard time promoting ourselves. We don't know how to talk about ourselves. It's uncomfortable. And as artists, it's even higher because everyone's got this imposter syndrome. They're like, I am not worthy. So it's kind of like bearing your soul and to provide a platform where they can just tell me and not have to like, be, and they can still feel humble about it because I asked them to be there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so, so true, that that imposter syndrome in general. But also what I find with artists, which I'm sure it sounds like you might have been feeling too with being such a busy photographer, is that a lot of artists are just... They are working so hard and they are so busy. They have so many gigs and jobs. It really is that like gig industry in a sense. And they have no time. Like they at a certain point, there's kind of this like forgetfulness about promoting oneself because yeah. we're running so di- so many different platforms. Uh, we are managing so many different tasks simultaneously. So I think that's wonderful that you like really you know, through that opportunity out there to your community, because it's so true. Artists do not promote themselves enough. And 
I think that as a fellow artist myself, I just really appreciate hearing these stories and not necessarily always from the people that, you know, are in magazines that we hear about all the time, but also the, the smaller guys and, and the ones who are doing really amazing work a little more discreetly, you know? Yeah, it's more relatable, you know? I, I've really learned a lot from them as well. And I should just do a highlight section on near-death experiences because I've interviewed so many people that have almost died or were really sick or and they might have died, you know, or they actually did die and they came back. And it's so crazy how there's that connection between near-death or death experiences and creativity because these people oh. come back and they're like, I got to paint. Or, you know, one of my guests had blood cancer and she was a photographer like me, a portrait photographer. But when she was sick going through chemo, she's like, I need to do something creative. I can't take pictures. So she started painting. And it's really interesting how the arts are so healing as well. And for me, an important part of the podcast is to promote creativity because for me, it's the purpose of life. You know, that's how we heal ourselves. That's how we heal each other. And I think it gets put on the back burner a lot. It's like, you're not, you go scrapbook on your free time, you know, but I think you should be scrapbooking every day. You know, (laughs) it's so important. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting because back in my youth, (laughs) when I was young, (laughs) I, uh, I went to the National Ballet School in Toronto and they had a program where they did ballet classes to help people with Parkinson's. And I think, you know, that's just one of thousands and thousands of examples of how art can be so healing. And and also something that's really important to me, which I know is a driving factor for my podcast, was showing that success isn't, you know, directly related. It's not a synonym for monetary value. It's not a synonym for uh amount of followers to be a successful artist is just continuing to do it and and claim that title tell people you're an artist and just keep going at it yeah i think that's so important and i think different cultures have definitely noticed we associate money with success the french less but coming from america it's like if you're not making money you're not successful so why bother and so that's been another refreshing thing being in paris is these people you know a lot of times they're making things because they enjoy it not because they necessarily have to make more money Absolutely. That is so, so refreshing. And that does sort of segue well into my next question for you, which is about your book. You recently released your first ever book, a memoir about your experience moving to Paris. Congratulations, by the way. I am so thrilled. What is unique about your story and the lens in which you see Paris from? Yeah. So I was researching a lot before I sat down to write this book. I've always wanted to write books. That's like secretly what I wanted to do more than photography. I wanted to be a writer, but everyone said, you won't make any money. <laughs> and, so, and like, as such, I was actually in journalism and university and they're like, I was working um, for the Baltimore Sun newspaper, my local newspaper. And they, the guy was literally like, don't do this job. Get out of here. It's a dying industry. <laughs> so I was like, all right. <laughs> so, you know, we put things on the back burner. And once again, the pandemic, there's a lot of silver linings. Cause I was like, I have time to sit down and write this book. And uh, I had been working on it since the winter before, but then I really got time to sit down and finish it. So it was, it's, I wanted to share the story of not such a perfect uh, entry to Paris and also the story of a photographer in Paris. Cause I did a lot of research on books that had already been written and a lot of books have been written from like cooks and, you know, moms and, but I didn't see anything about a photographer in Paris. And 
my job has taken me to some amazing places in Paris. I mean, I've been on the roof of Napoleon's tomb. I, I've been the American ambassador's private home. I been to crazy parties at Cannes and the film festival. And so I got to write about all that and kind of share those experiences and also what it's like to start a business here. And I imagine this is just me projecting <laughs> that as a photographer, in many ways, it's sort of like being a journalist. You're, you kind of get this you're you're there, you're like a fly in the wall in certain situations where you get to see people in their natural habitat just interacting, having amazing conversations. And uh, I imagine that'd be really, really interesting. Do you have any particular stories from that time when you were first getting started about certain parties that were really interesting where you really felt like you saw the real Paris for the first time? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the something that's really special is that I shoot the gala for the American Library in Paris every year, and they always have different writers and like famous writers. So for me, as like secretly wanting to be a writer, it was so cool to like meet some of my heroes and see how these writers were. And also, uh, I think the most exciting part was I went to Milan for Fashion Week there, and I had a press pass. And you go in and like. Jamie Foxx is sitting next to you, like covered in models. And they have these like 500 euro crowns that you can put on your head just to take a selfie. Like they're all bejeweled and like Dolce and Gabbana. Like it was the Dolce and Gabbana party. And like, especially for me, because I'm coming from like middle class America, we grew up poor. I mean, McDonald's was a treat. So anytime you go to these places, like unlimited champagne, I'm like, okay, got to learn to limit myself. <laughs> because you just, it can be... In the beginning, you have to kind of learn how to like reel yourself in and and like meeting the celebrities. But then it's so funny because you realize we're all the same. And that was something that was really hard when I first moved here because I I was working at these events and um, photograph like I worked photographing apartments in Paris too. Like these, some of them were like castles, literally. And at this time, I didn't even have a home. I was living in a hostel. So. It's it's really interesting, the dynamic, too, of just seeing the differences of richness and poorness. And, you know, I talk about that in the book, too, because I I was so poor when I moved to Paris. I didn't I didn't have any money and kind of working your way up and going to these events that are way out of your bank account. <laughs> but you kind of get to enjoy them as the help. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so interesting, actually, that you mentioned that you weren't in necessarily like a place of like financial affluence moving to Paris, because I think that obviously one very famous story of traveling and sort of changing your life drastically in terms of where you're living is eat, pray, love. And she was in a place where she had a lot of financial security to travel. So I find that so fascinating that it kind of debunks that myth in our our minds a little bit. And also that you started off living in a hostel. That's so interesting. How how long after you moved to Paris did you switch from living in a hostel to having your own place? So when I first moved to Paris, I came here actually on an au pair visa, which I talk about in the book. And so I was looking for ways to get here because like I said, I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. So I said, how can I get to Paris? You know, Because normally to get a visa, they're like, you got to have a job. You got to have this much money in your bank account. So I found this nanny thing, Au Pair Paris, and they give you kids to watch and the family provides a home. They pay for your phone. They pay for your French school and they give you like a stipend of money. It's like not anything. It's like 200 a month, but you're taken care of. And so that was like my segue in. And then, of course, I met like a French man and I fell in love and <laughs> then uh, I moved in with him and that blew up in my face, which I'll talk about in the book as well. <laughs> so the thing that's really, I know I'm like all over the place with this, but 
Paris has really taught me how to be independent because I, I'm not going to lie coming here. I was like, I'm going to meet a man. He'll take care of me and I can just have fun. And then I learned quickly, like, Oh no, (laughs) like you can't, that comes with stuff too. Like, even if you have a rich husband, he's your boss, you know, like you're not, you're still not free until you learn how to take care of yourself. You got to learn, you won't be fully independent. So yeah, so I, that blew up and then I was living in a hostel because we, we broke up and I still didn't have any money. So uh, it's funny because that time was so interesting. I lived in a hostel, but then also I was asked to photograph a castle. So then I lived in a castle for a while and then I had friends who were studying in Spain. So I just slept on their couch for a while. Like I was basically a nomad in Europe trying to figure my stuff out. And uh, I mean, it all sounds so crazy, but the struggles in our lives is really where all the good comes because now I can appreciate. I mean, I have a two bedroom apartment in Paris with a view of the Eiffel Tower and in my favorite part of the city. I mean, I enjoy this so much more coming from literally sharing a hostel room with eight people. Right. <laughs> So you don't appreciate these things until you're at the very bottom. Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. And yeah, what a contrast, like going from a hostel to a castle to a hostel. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, there. that is truly cinematic. I feel like this is quite <laughs> the interesting memoir. My goodness. Um, I did want to just ask, did you want to read an excerpt from your book today? Yeah, sure. I have a I have a little piece I can read. This is kind of like the intro to the book talking about the hard times. So yeah, I can read that. Would you like that? That would be fantastic. Okay, so I'll read a little excerpt from my book. I'd spent the morning in a French police station filing a report on my French boyfriend's attempts to blackmail me into leaving Paris. He had sent me several texts saying that he was going to have all the proof to report me to the authorities for working illegally, and that if I didn't leave Paris, he would do just that. He knew the spot to hit me the hardest, my love for Paris. He knew I never loved him the same way that I had loved her from the very moment I set foot on her cobblestone streets. He knew that taking Paris away from me would hurt me deeper than he ever could. Oh my God, what a powerful <laughs> passage. I'm like starting to get emotional, like three sentences in. Yeah, so that's kind of the intro to give you like, my book starts from like my lowest point, basically, and then takes you through the whole story to where I am today. Wow. And I find that so fascinating that even at your lowest point, you still had such a deep appreciation for the city. And that seems like a a common theme amongst a lot of people who have moved to Paris, where even through the highs and the lows, there's this deep appreciation for the city that has such a vibrant and rich culture and has so many creative people living amongst it. Yeah, definitely. I think that we all... We fall in love, but then I also talk about this in the book that the love is not really returned. It's kind of like an abusive relationship. Interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting, but there's something, there's an energy here. And I talk a lot about this in the podcast too, is that it's not, it's, it's unexplainable. You know, it's like the wind, we can't see the wind, but it's doing things. I feel the same way about the energy in Paris of the people that were here before us. And you know, they they struggled as artists too, and they opened parts of themselves they didn't know existed. And I feel like Paris is the place to do that. That's so lovely. And I uh, guess I have to move to Paris after this pandemic. <laughs> I'll <laughs> help you. Come oh on, my gosh. gosh. Yeah, let's do it. Oh my goodness. So, other than you know what you mentioned, maybe more in the transitional phase when you first went over there, what are some of the joys and hassles, those things that people wouldn't expect that come with being an American or even a Canadian moving to France? 
Yeah, the biggest thing for me was trying to open a bank account. <laughs> it was so hard. And you need a bank account for everything in Paris. They don't want to give you a, a lease for an apartment. They don't want to give you anything if you don't have a bank account because everyone needs something called a RIB, which is, you know, your account information. Your cell phone connects to that, you know, insurance. Everything connects to your RIB. And uh, America made an agreement with France saying, like, any Americans living abroad, they have to report back their bank account information to the states. Big brother. So a lot of banks are like, oh, we just won't take Americans <laughs> because it's annoying. They don't want to send that work. They don't want to send. They don't want to do more than they already have to do. So it was really hard opening in a bank account here. That, that was a big step. And also finding an apartment. There's a lot of people that want to live in Paris. Paris can be ridiculously expensive, not as bad as London or New York, but for what you get for the price, you know, you can get a real home in a lot of parts of the world. <laughs> so, and having the paperwork to get the home, just like a bank, you need so many papers. They love paperwork here. I can't imagine how many trees have been murdered on the French behalf, <laughs> like bureaucracy. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh yeah. Gosh. And you spoke a little bit previously about the community of other Americans in Paris. Did you have other connections at that point to kind of help you with those transitional things, those hassles that came along with moving to Paris initially? Yeah, because I had some friends and then like I dated a Frenchman. So that was really helpful. They, like that's kind of the fast track into making French friends because they make their friends in high school, basically in college, and they don't want to make a lot of friends. It's not like a lot of other cultures where it's like, everyone's my friend. French people have like their little circle of like 10 people and they're really there for those people. Like if they need something, they show up. There's no questions asked. So once you're in that circle, it's great. But it's hard to get in because you didn't go to college with these people. So dating a French person is definitely a fast track into getting more help with these things and making French friends because you're in their circle by dating that person. <laughs> okay, noted. I have to date a French yeah. when I move. <laughs> Pick up a French man just right. for a little while and then you can dump him. <laughs> for, just for a hot minute, just to get your yeah, bank account established. Get your paperwork other. established. Because even with the bank, it was crazy. They're like, we have to put your boyfriend's names and his address as your account. And he's like, where's your husband? You need a husband. It was like, it's kind of very 1950s in a lot of respects. Like they are a little behind the times with that stuff. But they're like, yeah, you're a single woman, foreign. Nope, not going to help you. Wow, that's really fascinating. I'm going to have to write a list after this episode of all the things <laughs> I have to learn. My goodness. One thing I noticed because we connected through social media, like as someone myself in marketing communications, I definitely spend a lot of time working with clients to help them develop their online presence, which you do so masterfully, I have to say. How soon after moving to Paris did you set up your website and your public social media accounts? And are those typically the channels people find you through for work or do they find you through other sources? Well, thank you so much. Because sometimes when I'm posting on social media, I'm like, what am I doing? Is anybody reading this? <laughs> sometimes you just feel like you're putting so much energy and it's like, does anyone care? Like, And also, I, yeah, I have to say it's only been the last two years I've gotten serious about my social media. I've been here for eight years. I did start a website right away. I've always had a website. That's very important. 
But I noticed a huge difference when I started using Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook and making a Facebook group and and leaving comments and, and talking to people. And also for years, I avoided talking about myself. I didn't post a single picture of myself. I didn't talk about my life because I had to make the crossover from using social media for my friends to my clients. And I felt a little silly in the beginning being like, here I am, you know, here's my job. Cause I'm like, my friends don't care about this. But I had to realize that for me, social media is a tool to make money. And once I had that realization, everything changed and I'd listened to podcasts and things like that and marketers like yourself. And they were like, talk about yourself, post pictures of yourself. And I noticed like a 200% increase in activity when I stopped just posting pictures of my clients and posting more about myself. And that made me really uncomfortable in the beginning. I'm not going to lie. And I actually paid someone in the beginning to, to write about me, which is ridiculous because I would literally just give her little facts and be like, here, write something. I like crabs, <laughs> I like fish. <laughs> you know, I grew up on the water. Do something with that. Uh, so, you know, in the beginning, I did pay her to do that because I just did not feel comfortable at all. But then just like everything, the more you do it. The, and then I started making real connections. I, I meet interesting people. And I saw something on the internet the other day that made me laugh so hard because I can't remember exactly what it said. But it's like stranger on my Instagram is more there for me and more my friend than like my family, you know, because it's like you make these connections and they're like rooting for you. They comment on everything. They're like, yeah, okay, you know, and they send private messages. And it's people I've never met a lot of them. But also, it's a great tool to reconnect with my photo clients because a lot of my clients, they're one-time clients. They take that dream trip to Paris and then that's it. You know, they don't come back. So because they're still seeing me on their feed, they refer me to their friends. They refer me to their family. So it's a powerful tool, but definitely we talk about imposter syndrome and, and not being able to talk about ourselves. It was really hard for me in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. That's It's interesting that you made that transition and because that's certainly a conversation I've had with some clients where they're like, oh, you know, I don't want to do an Instagram live because it feels so weird. My, you know, my followers aren't used to seeing that or whatever the case is. And <laughs> my thing is just go for it. And, uh, and my goodness, yeah, your social media is fantastic. I feel like what I notice about it, which stands out and I really appreciate is your sincerity. And there is this, you know, appeal to obviously like a curated feed and everything being aesthetic, <laughs> but that only goes so far. It's, it's the human that really makes a huge difference. And I, yeah, I was so, so impressed with that. And I also saw on your website that you've been featured in some very prominent magazines, which is just fantastic. I was wondering, like, how did you find out? Like, how did that come about? And what was your reaction when you found out you were going to be featured in those publications? Well, I'm really lucky because a lot of my friends in um, Paris are journalists. And I, I read something about this in a book. I think it's the artist's way I read this. It was like, you tend to befriend people who you want to be be like, like you want their job. So I have a lot of journalist friends. And the cool thing is, is they a lot of times need photos to go with their stories or they submit writing and they, they need the photos or, you know, they, so I had a friend and I have a lot of talented friends that, you know, they, my one friend got uh, featured in Vogue and she needed pictures of her work to go into Vogue. So she said, Oh, you took that great picture of me. Can I use that? And I'm like, of course, you know, because it just looks good to be featured in these places. And I got kind of annoyed in the beginning of my photography career because a lot of times to submit to these places, it's super annoying. It's like, you need this and you need that and you, you put it all on the website and then no one responds and it doesn't go anywhere. 
but the fast track and I've been very lucky is because my journalist friends, they already work for these companies like Marie Claire and L and architectural digest. So I'm able to get my work fast tracked onto the sites. That's amazing. And I, I love the common thread through all of this of like, I want to be a writer. So all my friends are writers, <laughs> but you are a writer now. I mean, you've written a book and I feel like I had a conversation with someone on a previous episode and she was just saying like, claim that title, you know, like even if you are working towards being a certain type of artist, say I'm, yeah, I'm working towards it to someone on the airplane or at the cafe. And I just, I love that theme as someone who (laughs) like, I feel like photography will always be in my life and I'm not going to ever give it up. I love photography, but also those two things go together so well. I mean, journalism, storytelling, you know, photography, writing, it's all goes together. And I find it interesting because obviously you have your website, you have your social media, and then you've been featured in these magazines. There's so many different things that you are balancing and juggling. So how do you manage all of that? And uh, did you at any point hire someone else to to help uh, manage that in addition to that person you, who uh, took care of your social media for a period of time? Yeah, I mean, I only started doing that in like the last year, right before the pandemic came, because uh, I felt comfortable because, you know, when we struggle for so long, we're always like, oh, maybe money's not going to come anymore. I've been a freelancer my whole life. So I've always had this scarcity complex where because the beginning, I you know, you don't make any money in the beginning, you got to build it. And um, so even when I started making great money, and I was working so hard, and I was basically burnt out, I finally said, like, wait, I have a friend who can write blogs. I have a friend who can do my captions. And and I did start outsourcing and I, I had someone do copywriting for my website and I have someone design the website better. And so once you feel like you're in a place financially, I did start outsourcing and it helped a lot because that's something I'm even, like once work does come back, hopefully soon, I, I was even thinking about outsourcing, like editing photos. Cause I love shooting. I love working with the client. I don't enjoy being on the computer and like adjusting things and, you know, but a lot of photographers, they're very, uh, they don't want to give that up because it's, 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 it's a part of, you know, the aesthetic. It's a part of the look. It's like how you edit, but a lot of them are just like presets where you click a button and it's like, okay, it's a little oranger. <laughs> so it's all about learning to outsource. It's very important. And I, I definitely was not comfortable in the beginning, but now it feels more natural. Well, part of it is probably also knowing who you want to bring on because, is especially as a freelancer, like the products that you are creating, they're kind of like your babies, like you're so attached to them, right? And so I know that when I've worked with smaller businesses for work who are trying to grow, it's always that sense of, can I trust this person? Like, do I feel like they love what I'm making as much as I do? And when there's that mutual passion, then sometimes it's a good match, but it can be hard to find the right person. So I'm sure that also came with your network growing in Paris as well. Yeah. And a lot of times when you're already working so hard, you're like, I don't have time to train somebody. I don't have time to find somebody, you know, like I'm busy, but you kind of have to make time because you will burn out. I definitely burned out. I was sick all the time. Uh, I remember I, one day I had, I had four shoots and I still thought I could have a social life too, which was really stupid because I would work like 15 hour days and then go out and drink and dance. And I mean, it's Paris. There's always something to do. There's always some kind of event. And I tried to do both things and my back just gave out on me and I've never had back problems, but I woke up one morning and I just couldn't stand up. And in my twenties, my 
my mindset was like, I don't care about you, body. I'm going to do what I want. And you listen to me. But then your body will very much be like, no, actually, <laughs> you don't have a choice. So burnout is key because in the beginning, all you can think about is how much, for me at least, I was like, I just want to work. I want to be busy. And then be careful what you wish for because I mean, I was so busy, but I definitely, I was paying for it with my body. That's why outsourcing is important too. And, and going to bed at eight o'clock and not going out and dancing all night when you have to get up at 4am the next day. <laughs> Another quick tip about Paris. Yeah, uh, yeah. You still have to go to bed on time. <laughs> I'm a grandma now. That's been one great, another silver lining about the pandemic. I've been resting. I haven't been sick in the last year, which is pretty amazing pandemic, but like I'm, I've been sleeping and eating better and doing my YouTube workout videos in my living room. <laughs> so it's like, it's nice to have time. Definitely. Oh, I joke. I was joking to some friends. I was like, oh, I aged many decades during this pandemic. I, I feel like I am like an 80 year old woman trapped in a young person's <laughs> body, which I feel like most 80 year olds wouldn't be mad at. Um, yeah. <laughs> super agile, but I, uh, my goodness, I was like, my, what I do, like, I'm like, oh, oh, 6 p.m., like, time for the news, sit down with my tea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is my life? It's so nice, though, because you it chill. Is. I've totally turned off the news, though. I think that's why I haven't aged 100 years because Probably. I'm not looking at it. I'm like, I know bad things are happening. I can't look at it because I feel like I have no control, you know? So yeah. I'm like, why am I going to worry about things I can't control? I mean, I voted, obviously, but yeah. the pandemic, what can I do? I'm not a scientist. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's the benefit too of of being an artist kind of going into the pandemic is that I think artists are so in tune to what they are feeling because I know that even for my process, it really like when I'm working is very driven by what I'm kind of feeling energetically. And so yeah, I think that's one benefit of being an artist is that we kind of are already in touch with that sense of okay it's too much emotionally right now for the news. Yeah, like it's a back in time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're doing collage. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go like paint this out, you know, because <laughs> totally paint yeah, out our worries. Yeah. I just call my parents. They're my news. I'm like, are we in world war three yet? No. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Just check in that, that daily call. So what is the state of the world? Do I want to know? Cool. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, Normally I don't want to know. I know. I know. But I have to say, like, I'm so in awe of how you have really used this time and just, you know, said, okay, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to start these new projects. I think that's really admirable and probably so good for your mental health as well. Like you said, to have projects that motivate you and that drive you to get up Mm -hmm. each day with that sense of passion and purpose. Yeah. Passion projects completely. I'm not making any money, but I'm having a great time. Isn't that just like the theme of the pandemic? Uh, (laughs) Losing money by the day, but still smiling. Yeah, I'm having so much fun. I wish I could get paid to do this. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find a way, Crystal. We'll find a way. Oh, my gosh. In the intro of your podcast, which I love so much, you do say a phrase that I really appreciate, which is you are in love with being creative. What other creative projects do you have on the horizon or do you hope to pursue? Yeah, so I'm, I've been really inspired to design some of my own online courses. So that's where I'm heading. I'm working on another book too, based on the podcast. Uh, For the courses, I'd like to create a course that is about creativity, but the French point of view on it. Because I think like, 
I could easily tie in some history of the artists here with how their creativity was inspired and what their processes were and like teach that to other people. And uh, also the next book I would like to write about the people from the podcast and like kind of the common themes from the show. Cause there's been a lot of things that keep coming up where I'm like, okay, this is a theme. This is a theme for creativity. So I love like, I love reading and uh, the, the book uh, steal like an artist and things like that. I love his work. And I kind of had like the same idea for the book of it kind of, it's not going to be like a drawn out, like scientific notation. It's going to be like, okay, these are the themes and here's some little paragraphs about how you can incorporate it to your own life. That's so fascinating. My goodness. Well, I'm so excited because everything that you've done has just been like so filled with life and so engaging. I've really enjoyed learning more about you and also just listening to your podcast. It's fantastic. And I think everyone should grab a copy of that book. It sounds so, so engaging. Well, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Crystal. I just really loved our conversation and I feel like there's so many little golden nuggets in here for people to take away and to get inspired. Where can people learn more about you or get in touch? Sure. So just check out my Instagram. It's Miss Paris Photo. It's M-I-S-S Paris Photo, all one word. It's the same for my website, MissParisPhoto.com. And if you want to check out my book, it's on Amazon. It's called Paris, A Life Less Ordinary. Certainly less ordinary, and I love it. I'm <laughs> so excited. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me, Carly. And I can't wait to listen to the show and, and catch up on all your episodes. Oh, thank you so much. That's the end of this episode of Suited Up. Thanks so much for listening. For more information, follow Suited Up Podcast on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review this podcast. See you next time. 